Hello and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Yulia Zhoja. I'm with the Middle East Institute, Georgetown and George Washington Universities, and I'm joined by my colleagues. Giselle Donnelly. I work at the American Enterprise Institute, as does... David Borohach. We are both senior fellows at AEI. On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to European peace that tend to emerge along a line running from the Baltic to the Black Sea the Eastern Front, and about why those matter to the United States. Today, we're thrilled to be joined by Tona Akubadia, who is uh, a member of the Georgian Parliament and Deputy Chair of the Defense and Security Committee in the Georgian Parliament. Tona, it's great to have you. If you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. When we met um, in D.C. a few weeks ago, it was, I believe, just a few hours after um, the disaster at the Novakahovka Dam. And I remember um, then that I sat down, it was a group of us um, from Georgia, from Romania, from Poland, and I said, did you guys know that um, Moscow had done this in the past? And I remember Tona saying, we had just met, um, and she was saying, yes, of course. And others had the, sa the same tone of, this is nothing new. Um, and now we are still kind of at the international level, I guess, um, processing the events that happened at the end of June um, around Prigozhin uh, and Putin. And we want to ask you, um, Tona, all about Georgia, the upcoming NATO summit um, and uh, regional security. But maybe as a start, we can talk about the impact um, in Tbilisi. Tbilisi is one of these unique places that has very recent experience with Russian aggression and Russian invasion. Um, and so Georgians have very uh, well-formed opinions about Russia. So till now, you have a kind of a privileged position. Seeing these debates, what, uh, how would you describe people are um, understanding and interpreting the events um, over the last few days in Russia. Well, thank you very much uh, for having me uh, on the podcast. I think uh, it's a very great program and I uh, listen to you pretty often uh, and it's a good opportunity to provide Georgian perspective uh, for your audience. Firstly, yes, uh, we do have a huge experience uh, knowing Russia, unfortunately, because of the uh, Soviet occupation, uh, past uh, with the Russian Tsarism, uh, and uh, also uh, we have witnessed Russian aggression uh, in 2008, before it was in the early 90s, and now we see the continuation of the aggression in Ukraine. So, uh, people of Georgia know what Russia wants to, and we don't want to be a sphere of influence of Russia anymore, so we are fighting to become member of European and European family. And uh, these events uh, in Russia just recent, also it was a big issue and a big hope uh, because we see the weaknesses of uh, Putin's regime. We see uh, defeat, uh, strategic uh, defeat of Russia in Ukraine. And now we are expecting that Putin's regime will be over despite the fact that it will not change revisionist Russian uh, foreign policy spirit. Uh, and uh, it was a uh, huge uh, joy of the people seeing uh, how Putin's regime is uh, getting weaker. Uh, and uh, then we saw the end of this story, or the uh, end of the first uh, season, maybe, 
uh, but it brought uh, a big um, discussion after Progozhin uh, was uh, um, dismissed to Belarus or uh, we don't know where is he now, but uh, after the uh, stopping of the um, his march to Moscow. Uh, and it was a domestic politics, to be honest, not the foreign policy. Unfortunately, uh, Georgian government didn't evaluate it, uh, uh, the threats which uh, it would bring to Georgia. I mean, threats of these processes uh, because of the migration crisis. We have witnessed a lot of Russian uh, migrants uh, due to this uh, military conscription in Georgia and around like 100,000 Russians. Uh, we have in Georgia um, after uh, that, and uh, there was a threat of a migrant uh, crisis, migration crisis, uh, threat of uh, North Caucasus, Chechnya, Kadyrov statement uh, against Georgia and uh, possible scenarios. Uh, so opposition, we were calling to Prime Minister to hold the National Security Council meeting to discuss the threats and challenges and to uh, have some uh, reactions in terms of the policy planning. but. Uh, um, they, they were silent and next day it became an issue of domestic politics, um, who supports whom and uh, that this is the only government bringing peace uh, in Georgia out of all the uh, governments in the uh, history of the Second uh, Republic of Georgia since regaining the independence of, and it is a short, uh, a very short um, policy without any vision uh, because inevitably we are sure uh, in Georgia that uh, Putin's regime uh, will be defeated in Ukraine with the support of the uh, West and with the bravery fight of Ukrainians uh, for their sovereignty and independence. It gives uh, hope for Georgia that we will protect our sovereignty in line with Ukraine, which is violated by Russia, and we will overcome the increased uh, influence of Russia in Georgia, which we feel and witness in many areas. So uh, this this is the main uh, issue now, uh, and we believe that uh, it is inevitable. And this um, precedent uh, demonstrated the weakness of Putin's regime, demonstrated the disagreement between Silaviki, and um, I think that uh, this is the first sign of uh, of dismantling the Putin's regime and uh, Putin's power. So there are some in the West who say, especially on America's political right, who say that we should not be rejoicing prematurely because whoever is going to replace Putin might be worse than, than Putin himself. And we've seen versions of this argument emerge on social media and, and, and elsewhere over this past weekend during the Prigozhin uh, mutiny. Uh, where people are sort of saying, you know, you liberals are so naive that you sort of expect Brigosian to be a reformer, which, you know, hasn't been a proposition made by anybody. But I think what is relevant in, in the context of Russia is that whoever replaces Putin uh, will, you know, in order to be a real autocrat, will have to consolidate power. And that takes energy, effort, resources... It's not an easy thing to do, so by default, whoever replaces Putin will be a weaker ruler than Putin, at least from the from, from, from the get-go. Is that the sense that is, is this sense sort of shared and understood by by Georgians and and, and more broadly denizens of the of the Caucasus and, and, and sort of Central Asia? Oh, well, um, uh, firstly, uh, we know what Russia's revisionism means because uh, since 1801, Georgia became part of the Russian uh, Empire uh, forcefully, uh, 
uh, and uh, then we were part of the uh, Russian uh, Soviet uh, Republic forcefully, and it was occupation. And now we are still fighting against uh, Russian influences. So we know that despite the leadership in Russia, that the nature of uh, Russia, to uh, imperialistic nature, and uh, we don't hope on a better leader in Russia, but we hope on the window of opportunity. It was for, for me very interesting to um, hear uh, Putin's statement uh, just right uh, next morning when Progozhin started uh, his uh, march. Uh, he compared it to 1917 uh, revolution uh, and he said that uh, Russia lost uh, territories with this uh, agreement uh, that they uh, withdrew from the First World War and they should not admit that. So it was very interesting uh, historical uh, parallels, uh, he said. Uh, and uh, if he thinks that uh, if Putin's regime is over, it will be uh, expenses of uh, on the expenses of uh, losing the territories of Russia, and uh, they believe that uh, part of Ukraine it, it is Russia uh, against all international rules-based order. Uh, then it is an opportunity for Ukraine, opportunity for Georgia, and opportunity for the West uh, to buy the time and to do the proper enlargement of NATO, including Georgia and uh, Ukraine, into NATO to ensure the Euro-Atlantic security uh, and to ensure the uh, Europol pre uh, and at peace. And uh, it is uh, a chance that uh, uh, the policy should not be business as usual with Russia after uh, this happens. Uh, and uh, this is the hope uh, people of Georgia has. And uh, victory of Ukraine adequately means victory of Georgia, despite the difficulties we have in Georgia, because it is a principle of sovereignty, which is not only occupation of 20% of territories of Georgia or Ukraine, but also uh, it is a, a sovereignty uh, of uh, will of people. Uh, it, uh, it is a democracy and it is our foreign policy priority, which is NATO and EU. So that's the belief people has it and all the public opinion polls prove that the support for EU is like 90% and support of NATO is 85%. That it is a historical support which we uh, didn't had before uh, in uh, previous years because the hope is uh, here. If I could even push this point, probably past the point of uh, uh, of its design tolerance. It, it does, uh, just reflecting on the Prigozhin incident, it does seem to me that it might be fair to place it in the context of even larger historical forces, meaning the unraveling of the Russian empire. I mean, it, it this does seem like 1991, like the various Maidans in uh, Ukraine, uh, some of the I mean, it is, and in uh, Georgia as well. And apropos of Western opinion, you know, that is a little bit of a frightening prospect, or uh, has been for Americans, just because of the instability. I, I think that's the wrong way to look at things, that the world will be better off when this process continues and is complete. But I wanted to ask a, a sort of follow-up question about this. And Yulia, you may have a point uh, of view on this as well. I'm wondering really if we're uncovering a kind of Black Sea consciousness or frame of mind or, you know, regional perspective that's certainly been invisible to the United States, been invisible probably to Western Europe for a long time, where every, you know, all our relations with former Soviet states were routed through Moscow. 
So, you know, I, I'm, <laughs> I read too much uh, vasty, vast history uh, for my own good, and it affects my frame of mind. But I'd be interested, Teon, in your point of view, but also Julius, uh, trying to wrap my head around where we are in the larger historical process. I, I'll let um, Teona talk about it because for one, she's been doing this. She's been a Black Sea girl longer than I oh have. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I'll, I'll ask you about that. But also because I think our listeners have have heard a lot from me um, on the Black Sea over the Well, it would now, be good to define what that entails. I mean, we, we've talked about the the existence of it, uh, but we haven't talked about what it, what it material positively is, if it does exist. Maybe to kind of um, frame that additionally with something that seems niche, but but again, I think Tona is the right person to to um, uh, brief us on this. Is um, not many people outside of the Black Sea region know that Romania and Georgia on the two ends of the Black Sea have recently signed a strategic partnership. And Teona has been one of the, if not the central, she'll tell us, um, designers of it. Um, and it's connected to, I guess, more awareness and certainly more projects of infrastructure, interconnectivity, building into regional organizations and sub-organizations to push for the things that I guess in one form or another with ample bipartisan political support both countries have been trying to bring to the surface of particularly NATO and EU basically since 2008 in one form or another or even earlier but particularly since 2008 and were not heard again and again until maybe 2022. So is that a good frame, Teona, to look at it? Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, firstly, uh, Plexi, it is a connectivity uh, and it is a gateway to uh, rest of the Europe. Uh, but uh, contrary, Russia wants to turn it to the lake. And uh, we uh, saw the uh, strategic um, balance change since the Crimean annexation of, uh, by Russia. but. Nobody talks about uh, this uh, willingness uh, when uh, there was a war in 2008 and when Russia occupied uh, part of uh, Georgia, Abkhazia, uh, there is a Black Sea port in Chamchire and uh, they built the military base uh, in there and they're using it also as a part of the um, Black Sea uh, for the military purposes as well as uh, also for uh, slightly economic uh, uh, one uh, and um, so occupied Abkhazia and occupied um, Crimea. Uh, it is part of the Russia's uh, strategy to turn it to its own lake. And contrary, uh, when we were uh, pushing the strategic partnership with Romania and uh, this first uh, Black Sea Security Initiative, actually it started in 2015. NATO Wales Summit, and in 2016 there was some concept of Black Sea security, uh, where Georgia and Ukraine, as a partners uh, and uh, aspirant countries, became uh, part of it. But it was not uh, sufficient and enough, and uh, we both, Georgia and Ukraine, were pushing for more in terms of the Black Sea security. And now we see uh, the problems. I mean, uh, there is a Montreal Convention, uh, and we don't have any. Black Sea um, uh, fleet uh, ship visits 
uh, since the war in Ukraine uh, has been uh, waged by Russia full-scale one. And uh, also, um, in terms of this uh, strategic vision, uh, I think uh, there is uh, more to be done. Uh, from a U.S. perspective, the Black Sea uh, security strategy, there should be Georgia and Ukraine, not only in terms of the political level, but also military and also economic. Uh, there is software security, uh, soft security issues, economy, and connectivity is uh, a new uh, new thing, uh, and um, now we are um, in the process of uh, building the Black Sea energy cable. Uh, now there is this um, research on that topic, uh, and uh, there was a deal uh, from uh, EU uh, with the leader of Azerbaijan about the Black Sea connectivity and energy, uh, green energy. It is also energy uh, corridor and increased transit of energy resources from Caspian Sea to Black Sea. And we had a project with a deep sea Anaclea port to be built, uh, which was failed because of uh, inadequate will of the government. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, if we would have the deep sea port in Anaclea, it would serve uh, not only the economic needs of Georgia, but also strategic interests. Uh, and um, uh, when we talk about the strategic partnership with Romania, uh, we, we do have a good framework uh, which uh, needs to be filled with the uh, issues. Now, uh, the direct uh, uh, sh uh, cargo ship uh, from Constanza port to uh, Poti was opened. Just, uh, it will be the first ship uh, in this week, which is also important uh, for economy. Uh, but uh, without deep sea uh, port, without proper strategy, I would say, not only this deep sea port, from the US, uh, from the uh, NATO allies, and without uh, proper uh, engagement of Ukraine and Georgia into uh, Black Sea security, uh, maybe after uh, the war is um, over, uh, there will be no security in the wider Black Sea region. And when we talk about the Street Sea Initiative, well, and it's not only just the Black Sea, and we, when we talk about the wider Black Sea region, First, there is a need of the strategic vision, and then the proper strategy to be implemented. And there will be no security, I strongly believe, without uh, Ukraine, without Georgia, into NATO, and um, there will be no connectivity if there is no proper vision. Uh, and transportation corridor, logistic hub, and also the transit opportunities. Uh, Georgia is a, a gateway, uh, and it is a uh, region important uh, because we share the uh, same values uh, with Europe and the with the West. So, uh, to me, now it is a time uh, to reshuffle the previous vision and uh, to do it more coherent way, uh, and to also uh, limit uh, the Russian increased influence in the region because uh, we witness it a lot. If I, if I may just um, stay on this point for, for, for another second, I was always struck by by the fact that um, connectivity is being emphasized as a sort of central pillar of, say, the Three Seas Initiative and, and sort of similar, similar efforts in this space. And my, my concern is that I fear that connectivity as such is a sort of value-neutral term that can encompass many different things some of them more desirable than others. You could say that the more Nord Stream 2 project was a connectivity project in some way. And so so I think what, what the Three Seas Initiative in particular needs, and, and I suspect the same might apply to to the sort of broader Black Sea region as a as a whole, is, is a sort of sense of political direction and political strategy that would then 
effectively discriminate between different connectivity projects. And that would also take a hard look, not only on, on Russia's influence, but also on, uh, on, on, on the role that China is trying to, to play in that space. How advanced is the China conversation in, 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 in Georgia these days? Like in Washington, you know, you were, you were in D.C. not that long ago. Every conversation turns towards China within first 10 minutes. So we actually managed to, to you know, run this podcast for 21 minutes without mentioning China. With China, we have a free trade agreement since 2015. Uh, and um, the level of uh, influence has been increased not only in Georgia, but uh, in, in the South Caucasus. It's, and it's not only culture and uh, uh, it's not only education. Uh, it's also the political. Um, it's not that dangerous nowadays, but uh, it, uh, it is obvious that we see the increase. Uh, and, um, you know, in this uh, context where we have the regional actors like uh, Russia, uh, like uh, Turkey in the region, Iran, uh, very near um, neighboring Armenia, this uh, peace deal uh, agreement process, which is uh, led by U.S. between Azerbaijan and Armenia, uh, the main issue should be a vision. A uh, vision from the U.S. Uh, in, in terms of the uh, increasing uh, uh, the presence and uh, protecting the shared values. And uh, how to contain uh, this interest, uh, whether it is Russia, whether it is China, and uh, um, that's the main thing to me, because otherwise, I mean, if you compare like five years ago or 2015 context to nowadays, uh, and there are many reports about China's increased uh, uh, influence and interest over the region, you will witness uh, progress in that field. But uh, I don't see, to be honest, a proper strategy why it might be a problem uh, from our partner countries or um, what kind of uh, interest uh, China will have um, in like five years after in terms of the economy, in terms of the culture, and in terms of the, even the military maybe. Uh, so the problem is that um, because of the turbulence, because uh, of the war, um, there is a, a lack of uh, strategic vision. And also the uh, challenge is the uh, government. Uh, the current one, uh, GD, which is absolutely okay with increase of Chinese uh, interest or increase of Russian influences even. Uh, so that's why it is important to have a clear vision uh, and also it is important to uh, contain Russian influences and support democracy um, uh, process in Georgia despite the challenges. I also want to ask you, I promised this early on about NATO and the upcoming summit and you and I talked off um, uh, offline about this before. Um, and while preparing for this podcast, I was looking at um, your bio on the Georgian parliament and I realized, that's why I said earlier, she's been doing this longer than me, um, that you were starting Georgia NATO in the context of the black 2005. 2005. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. When we're looking at Georgia and NATO and Ukraine and NATO, I guess the key year that everyone is thinking about is 2008, the Bucharest summit, the, the Black Sea Circle closes, right? Um, that infamous uh, uh, summit with a half-hearted promise. We know now so much about the background, so much um, speculation. And a few months later, Putin rolls into um, Georgia, starts his atrocities, and now we're in 2023. And we have 
mixed uh, expectations, had to say, like in the best case scenario about the Vilnius summit. Um, at, on this podcast, we talked in many instances about this. So you looking back, I guess two in one question, but you looking back since 2008-ish or before 2008 and then um, into now, 2023, how has Georgia's relationship to NATO transformed over the years? And what kind of hopes do you have in the very limited circumstances that are imposed by both the West, um, but also the GD, Georgian Dream in, um, in Tbilisi? What do you expect or what are you hoping for looking at the Vilnius Summit in a few weeks from now? Thank you very much. It's a very important question. Uh, firstly, I do believe uh, that uh, one bright day Georgia will become a NATO member. And it's not uh, that I believe in that. It's an opportunity, I believe in. Uh, <laughs> How about pink, pink ponies? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and um, in terms of the NATO Vilnius Summit, uh, I initiated the joint address in the Parliament of Georgia for all uh, NATO um, states uh, to firm our uh, request uh, to support Georgia and not only uh, the, to firm our willingness to join NATO but uh, support concretely in uh, the point of view that uh, because of the enlargement processes uh, ongoing and uh, strategic concept in Madrid reassure this enlargement as a uh, success uh, and uh, Finland uh, joined NATO without membership action plan it should be a, a future enlargement uh, model for other countries like Georgia and Ukraine because uh, because in 2008 Georgia was not granted the membership action plan but was given the promise that eventually we will, we will do, become a NATO member. Russia um, considered it as a sign of weakness and invaded Georgia in 2008 and Russia wanted to stop Georgia's NATO accession process with the occupation and uh, there was the answer in uh, NATO's uh, strategic um, uh, document about Russia coming, invading and um, you know, increasing the, uh, covert operations etc. So um, if in Vilnius summit Ukraine will be promised uh, to become a NATO member without membership action plan. It will be a, a good uh, political advantage for the future membership. And we called NATO uh, states uh, to stress this uh, model of uh, Finland and uh, eventually uh, Sweden soon that uh, Georgia and Ukraine will become without membership action plan. And this is very important because Russia uh, has uh, leverages uh, despite of the statements on NATO. Uh, the, Russia considers that it is a leverage occupation, it is a leverage on NATO decision and it should not be uh, given as an instrument. Uh, secondly, uh, we need more um, more instruments. Since 2015 and 16 NATO summits, uh, Georgia had uh, uh, in political declaration a text that we have all tools necessary for eventual membership. So we do have the membership action plan without a name uh, of it. And we uh, need more uh, security support and defense support as well and political decision uh, that uh, when the war is over, uh, the window of opportunity will uh, be for Ukraine and Georgia. Uh, now NATO is criticizing Georgia because of lack of democratic reforms and uh, it's like uh, for two years we, we hear this critique uh, and unfortunately it is because inefficient uh, reforms from 
uh, GD in terms of the rule of law, in terms of the media freedom, and also in terms of the oversight over the security sector, democratic oversight, which is also important um, uh, part of the democracy. And we don't see the uh, we don't see NATO membership. Uh, in uh, the political statements anymore from the ruling party. And uh, me as a politician in the parliament, I always call the government to talk about NATO membership. But nowadays, it is the first NATO summit where uh, partners are invited on NATO summit and Georgia's uh, political leader will not be participating there, despite the fact that uh, I might like or dislike the prime minister for, or of Georgia, he won't be there. It will be only Minister of Foreign Affairs, and it is a, a problem. Uh, and secondly, uh, I see the um, options that Ukraine and Georgia as um, two uh, nations striving for NATO membership together since the 2008 Bucharest summit decision might be split. And it is also a challenge because whatever uh, it is in terms of the uh, future membership perspective, Ukraine and Georgia should be together. It will be easier for us to perform uh, this process and it will be easier for NATO as well because we both uh, have the uh, Russian challenge in terms of the occupation, in terms of the spheres of influence which Russia considers against us and we, we also share the same interest. So uh, in this situation, I don't have much expectations from uh, NATO Vilnius summit in terms of Georgia and I blame the government uh, in that uh, regard, because they uh, hardly work on NATO membership. They are receiving a lot of criticism in terms of democratic reforms, and they don't perform any democratic reforms in that field. And it is like a, uh, not to, to upset Russia, to, to be honest, uh, in that regard. Um, and um, in this situation, we need strong wording in the political communique. Uh, and, uh, if, and if we are splitted from Ukraine, like we were splitted in uh, terms of the EU integration, it will be challenging. And uh, I think that for NATO uh, or for EU, uh, Georgia and Ukraine together, uh, this is uh, security and not splitted. Because uh, what Russia wants to to maintain the influence and leverage over Ukraine or, or and also over Georgia, because that's a historical. A perception of Russia that we belong to uh, its influence uh, spheres or zones of privileged interest, whatever you call it. And in that situation, we need uh, the support from NATO, uh, despite the challenges from the government side. I am pretty sure that when the government is changed, the current one, uh, we will perform the all the necessary requirements in terms of democratic reforms, uh, uh, what is needed. Uh, but then the political decision uh, should be made and the window of opportunity should be taken by Georgia and by all NATO allies. So much is dependent on the outcome of the war, when the war is ended and how it is ended. And I'm sure it will be with the victory of Ukraine and then political decision from NATO because I'm pretty sure that if in 2008 we would be granted membership action plan, Russia would not dare to invade Georgia and uh, same with Ukraine. Uh, and uh, the conflicts with which Russia is initiating, the aggressions, it's all because of the uh, signs of weakness from the West. And uh, it shouldn't be admitted. admitted. Uh, and we need to perform all the democratic reforms uh, as well. Could you maybe give us a little primer on Georgian politics as it stands in 2023 in terms of you know what the ruling party stands for, why it's been so controversial among pro-Western Georgians, 
when the next election is, what the prospects are for you know a pro-Western change in Georgia. Well, uh, it will be very difficult to explain you uh, in a very short of time, but uh, <laughs> I will try to be uh, precise in that term. Firstly, people of Georgia support NATO and EU, and people of Georgia support democracy. But the government, the oligarchy government, uh, even Ishwili's role, which is a uh, oligarch shadow, and this is very unique um, uh, rule, you know, unlike to Moldova or even Ukraine in the past, it is totally different and don't uh, compare to any model of uh, the Georgian case. Um, I mean, the ruling party was playing tango with both, with the West and with Russia. But when the war started in, uh, this full-scale war started in Ukraine, all of a sudden, uh, GD uh, chose a different side, which is Russia. And um, the main uh, development of the narratives, because we don't have any written policy, we don't have the renewed national security strategy or whatever, the main uh, idea is to maintain the peace. I do understand uh, the difficult, uh, difficult situation in which Georgia is, because uh, Georgia is occupied by Russia 20% uh, from capital. Uh, it's 37 kilometers where Russian occupation forces are standing uh, and it's very close to the main highway and uh, it will be very, very short of time if uh, new aggression will be, uh, to, and it will be easier to invade Georgia again. And these um, um, challenges, it's pretty understandable that uh, Georgian government needs to be careful. Uh, but if you evaluate the foreign policy, uh, current one, with the statements, not uh, with the paper, the problem is that um, despite all the uh, proper actions on international stage to support Ukraine, whether it's joining the resolutions, co-sponsoring uh, um, uh, the appeal of, with, uh, of, uh, for Ukraine with UK, etc., uh, the statements became pro-Russian or anti-West, if you like it. So now we witnessed after uh, this narrative that uh, Ukraine wants to open the second front in Georgia. Now we witnessed the narrative that there is a global war party where the West, uh, where Ukraine and where opposition and civil society wants Georgia to drag into the war with Russia. Uh, and uh, it became uh, totally against the established national interest of Georgia, which is UN, NATO, and which is democracy. They don't perform the uh, democratic reforms uh, necessary for NATO and EU membership. Uh, they are using the anti-West propaganda very openly. Uh, there are uh, close patterns of Russian Kremlin disinformation techniques uh, with the GD statements. And uh, all of a sudden there is a question where Georgia stands, whether it is with the West or whether it is with Russia. And especially when the open flights uh, um, started with Russia after it was stopped uh, since 2019, um, it became more obvious. So in this situation, um, opposition parties are pro-Western, people are pro-Western. Uh, we do have the election in 2024, and in December we are expecting the decision, political decision from the EU about granting Georgia candidacy status. Uh, and it is a big challenge, because uh, if the candidate status is not granted to Georgia, it will uh, push Georgia more closer to Russia, because it will be a huge way of anti-West propaganda. Uh, uh, West will be blamed in that, opposition will be blamed of that, uh, but not the ruling party, which is uh, not performing the required democratic reforms. Uh, Russia will be more than happy to have it, uh, if you compare it to 2014, 
Russia's attempts not to let Ukraine towards association agreement, and uh, it uh, it will be a challenging time for Georgia, especially when the election will be in 2024 October. Uh, but uh, also there is a dilemma for the West. Without performing 12 uh, EU recommendations, it will be very difficult to grant Georgia the candidacy status. So one thing is bureaucratic approach, another thing is geopolitical decision. Uh, and uh, I'm in favor of uh, granting the candidate status to Georgia, despite the challenges, uh, because uh, it will save Georgia to be pushed more closer to Russian influences, uh, and it will uh, um, may, it will give the um, ability to the West as well as for the opposition uh, to have a leverage before the election uh, about the uh, democratic transformation. And in this process, uh, this is a crossroad. Georgia is on, on the edge, um, and uh, with uh, the partner support, we need to defend Georgia's foreign policy priority because what we see now domestically, it's a uh, huge uh, disinformation, manipulation, uh, uh, and uh, anti-West propaganda, uh, and uh, you will see lots uh, of them uh, from the ruling party leaders, uh, and the manipulation uh, is getting stronger and stronger. So, um, friends, we need uh, when we have uh, this need, uh, uh, and uh, uh, while we are trying to push the government to perform the uh, reforms, uh, but we don't see the political will to do that, because it's all about the maintaining the power. It's not about the foreign policy priority or established national interest. Uh, this will be a very challenging time for Georgia. So that, that is why uh, I'm always asking Georgia's friends and allies to support Georgia even more now, because um, it is a crossroad and we need to overcome this challenge. And uh, it will simultaneously will be developed uh, while uh, we see the success of Ukraine uh, in the uh, Ukrainian front. Because if Russia is defeated, then uh, the Russian influences will be decreased uh, in Georgia as well as in the region. And um, uh, it is just a matter of time. And then uh, opposition will try its best uh, to win the election uh, with democratic uh, change uh, with pro-Western government. You know, maybe we'd like to end on this note of opportunity that Russia's defeat in Ukraine and larger unraveling will present. Uh, alas, not many in the West are thinking about what that means or how to accomplish it, or, or in it, as I sort of suggested earlier, many are sort of afraid of it. But, you know, a competent strategist would say as part of any termination of hostilities in Ukraine, it should not be just a matter of restoring Ukrainian sovereignty and liberty and all of that stuff, but in reversing the sort of Putin imperialist policy of the last 20 years, which very much includes Georgia, it obviously includes places like Transnistria and uh, other places. And, and uh, that should be considered, I mean, this has in one way been just one single war with many fronts or, or many flanks or how, whatever the appropriate term should be. And the Prigozhin nonsense ought to remind us that this could come sooner rather than later, that the triggering event for the next level of contraction of Russian power could easily be just around the corner and in fact is more likely to be sooner than later. But I just fear that once again, we are unprepared for it will be just 
the fact that Russia will retain a nuclear arsenal will give us take count make us take counsel of our own fears. But you know, like I say, I think it's just very important to try to seize the day when it comes and to be expansive in our understanding of what a good peace would be, and that goes well beyond goes well beyond Ukraine per se. That was not a question. The only, the only question is, don't you agree with me? Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. Firstly, uh, it's not only sovereignty in terms of the territorial integrity, but it's also uh, sovereignty in terms of the will of the people, and it's a way of life. Uh, the conflict here between Azerbaijan and uh, Armenia, it was uh, Russia meddling, uh, and I'm really glad that the U.S. Uh, is... Uh, uh, mediating this process and there will be meeting of Ministry of Foreign Affairs and if U.S. managed to reach this peace deal agreement, it will be uh, diminishing Russia's influence in the region, which will adequately have an impact on Georgia as well. Uh, I'm sure that uh, in Moldova, conflict will also, which was initiated by Russia and Russia's interest, if this uh, is uh, uh, solved, it will uh, decrease Russia's interest, uh, whether it is Ukraine, whether it is Georgia, but I'm sure that like when the Soviet Union collapsed and there was the Eastern enlargement from the Soviet bloc, uh, which brought the peace uh, in, the, uh, in those countries and in Europe uh, as a whole, it, there is a requirement to do the same. Because like Ukraine, Georgia, Moldova, we were striving to be part of the European family with the statements and with the behavior, with the reforms. Uh, but there is a Russia uh, who doesn't want that. So there should be a vision because this window of opportunity will not be for a long time. It will be just a very limited time. And that's very important that when the war is over, with the restoration of territorial uh, integrity and sovereignty of Ukraine, there is a clear policy with regard of Georgia, with regard of Moldova, uh, and also with regard of the uh, Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan in terms of the region. If Russia is out, with its influences from the region, there is peace, security, and stability uh, in Europe. And uh, Georgia, which was uh, the uh, champion of the reforms, uh, uh, democratic reforms in the uh, former Soviet uh, Union, uh, can prove again that we, we will uh, transform country in a democracy way. Uh, but uh, without the security guarantees and without uh, the umbrella, uh, Russia will uh, try to do it. Um, best again, and there should be no gray zones left, like it was left in terms of Georgia. And if uh, Abkhazia and uh, Tsinvali region are still under Russian occupation, and if uh, Russia managed to have uh, Georgia back under its influence, even if Ukraine is out, Russia will do it again. And it will be again a challenge of European security, not only Georgia's headache. That's why it's very important now when there will be a new security architecture created after the war is over to include uh, those countries as well and to, to influence uh, to on these uh, shared values and to protect the shared values and security and stability. Tiona Akubardia, thank you so much for joining us and for making the case for defeating Russia and Black Sea security. From me, Yulia Zhoja, and my friends, Stel Donnelly and Dal Guruhaj. Thank you for listening to the Eastern Front. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. 
To stay up to date with the Eastern Front, please give us a follow on Twitter at Eastern Front Pod in one word, and sign up for our newsletter through the link included in the show notes. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, AI.org, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you and goodbye.